Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 178, Thanks for the Pep Talk. This week we're discussing season 2, episode 19 of Battlestar Galactica, Lay Down Your Burdens, part 1, and season 3, episode 14 of Angel, Couplet. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay, so we've got uh, the first part of the BSG season two finale mm-hmm. here tonight. Uh, and we were kind of talking like, I mean, there is a lot that goes on and we've got like mm-hmm. all the characters, but it's very much uh, each, each, there's like three plot lines and mm-hmm. ne'er do they meet. Um, <laughs> I almost said, uh, "What? What's the ne'er the twain shall meet or whatever?" But like, it's more right, than, right. It's more than twain. <laughs> so like, ne'er the thrice shall. I don't. I don't know. Like, what the anyway. Sure. Uh, um. Yeah. So we have uh, kind of three plot lines going on. We've got the the Tyrrell and Callie and Cavill thing, right? Mm-hmm. Which as a plot, like it's like Tyrrell's dreaming, Callie startles him awake, he beats the crap out of her and then talks to Cavill about it. Like that's yeah. that's the entire plot there. Right. Um the election, I mean, is a little more involved because you've got kind of some maneuvering and stuff going on. But really, I mean it's just kinda like you know, Roslyn and Baltar with their advisors and debate prep and then like the debates so mm-hmm. not not terribly complex you know plot line there and then you know um you have starbuck and the caprica campaigners um that's the worst band title that i've come <laughs> up with yet starbuck and the caprica campaigners uh you know i mean they yeah. kind of like describe what they're gonna do beforehand and then like boom boom hey we did it <laughs> and like they're there like like there's End really the episode, not a yeah. lot that like goes on there um maybe a little bit with um some of the conversation between like i don't even like Hilo and sharon like have a little bit of conversation mm-hmm. of like foreboding or whatever but i don't know there's some stuff to talk about but again like it's not like like as a plot, it's not like that complex. Um, probably mm-hmm. the biggest like complication is actually like the mistake of racetrack, right? And like right. her crew that like, you know, they're part of the campaign, you know, the Capricorn campaign, and then they, not to be confused with the political campaign that's going on, um, right? A lot of campaigning, but, in this but episode. they get lost and stumble upon this planet. And then, like, that becomes an election issue. So that's, like, mm-hmm. really the only, like, crossover piece to any of these. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, mm-hmm. they're all kind of discrete little plot lines going through. Mm-hmm. Um, that, not to say that we won't have a lot to talk about, like, with sort of the stuff that's revealed or, or discussed or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, definitely definitely the stuff that we come up with will will either be more character or like dialogue related than mm-hmm. you know plot happening stuff well and um 
so character heavy definitely you know like so even so like what you all just talked about i think is like all like plot in terms of like plot structure like what happens and right, right, how right. is it told and the movement of that yeah and everything. plot plot as far as like the action and and yeah right like right, sort like of what the, happens the aristotelian definition of plot you know, right right like what happens in the episode and like not much you know or right. like it gets the ball rolling but doesn't really go that far or like definitely doesn't like resolve anything but like definitely in terms of character like um you know obviously like the Tyrol plot is you know huge for his character and for Callie too sure. you know the election stuff has all of the kind of the the culmination of this sort of schism you know between Roslyn and Baltar and and then within the fleet of like which issue is going to win? How yeah. are they going to vote? And, like, how's that going to go? And the shifting attitudes that they sort of portray right. within the fleet. Right, right. And, like, which is going to be the issue which is most... Which of them has their finger on the pulse of of what, you know, is most important at this moment? Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, I guess there's less kind of uh, character soul-searching with the Caprica stuff, but even that, it's like you know, Kara finally getting to go back for Sam. So you're getting some kind of like, a, you know, moving towards some sort of emotional resolution of that storyline with the season of her finding Sam and promising to come back for him and everything. Yeah. Um, but then also I want to bring up like, beyond like specific characters, like just the general like mood of the episode which i feel like you get a lot in the opening um because even though um it doesn't quite do it with the same way but it reminds the way this season or this um well yeah season finale sort of opens reminds me of the last season finale when they had like different sets of characters that they were cross-cutting between them all like really tightly mm. like you had like you know, Boomer with her gun, and then you had Hilo shooting Sharon with a gun, and then you had, like, you know, Lee and Kara, or it's not Lee, it's, you know, Baltar and Kara, you know, having sex, contrast with, like, the Adamas, like, you know, boxing sure. and, you know, all that kind of thing. And it doesn't quite get to that level of, like... No. ...specific sets of characters, but you do get this kind of, like okay, we're going to set up all of these plot lines in the first, like, you know, couple minutes of the show and cut between all of them. And with this, like, really, like, dark, ominous music playing over it. Yeah. Um, and you get Sharon's line about, you know, how, like, I just have a bad feeling. You know, like, there's a dark time coming, yeah. something bad, and it's this, I can't quite see what it is. It's not any one thing. It's just a dark time. Um, so to kind of put that over you know, it kind of suggests ominous things about all of the plot lines. Cause you have her saying that while Starbuck is briefing them on the rescue mission and you have it while, you know, Baltar and Roslyn are worrying about their debate and you have it while Tyrrell's having his, his nightmare. So there's this kind of sense sure. of like, everything is, you know, like they're all on the brink of some sort of like disaster potentially of, okay, what does Sharon mean by this dark time? Is it all of those things? Is it one in particular? Which of these plot lines is sort of sure. the most important? Or are they all in their different ways? And, and Right. And 
Yeah, I mean, let's definitely talk about that because, like, if you think about where all of each of these ends up, like, they are all like none of them are resolved, which it's mm-hmm. a part one of a two part, you know, sure. finale. So, like, y- you know, you got to leave them in cliffhangers. But yeah, like, I mean, I think, I think if we're thinking of Sharon's dark time coming, like, they all sort of wind up in dark places you know mm-hmm. um so or at least except maybe baltar but even like he's always in a dark place so i don't it's like even when well, he, even, even when with, he's winning like yeah. he's in a dark place well and you, you to not get too far ahead with baltar you do have the sense that baltar's triumph is is not necessarily you know triumphant for the fleet in general like if right. he's in a good place, that might mean bad things for, you know. Right. If he and Zarek um, are winning, then the people aren't winning. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> or the fleet as a whole isn't. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, so let's sort of take them through. And I think, um, like, I want to start with Tyrrell, just because, like, I feel like his is the, even the most straightforward. And mm-hmm. we can um, sort of talk through his stuff. Um pretty easily i think i mean or at least maybe easy isn't the right word but um so the setup is like we sort of see him well i guess we see callie first right we see callie come in like looking for the chief Mm -hmm. and then we kind of like get like these brief cut scenes of him like sort of not quite thrashing but maybe like Mm-hmm. jerking around on the floor well that sounds bad uh like sort of uh having some disturbed sleep mm-hmm. uh of some kind um and so i mean that goes over like there's like several scenes like she looks she's kind of like they have that set up for a little bit longer than you even like would maybe expect like I feel like there's like at least like three or maybe even four scenes of like her just looking for him Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, just briefly, like between other scenes and stuff going on. But she eventually finds him and goes to wake him up. And when he wakes up, he like pushes her down and starts beating the crap out of her. Mm -hmm. Um, And 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 then suddenly realizes what's going on and has remorse and carries her out seeks Mm. you know medical care and then goes to uh priest of some kind i guess like Mm -hmm. um we've only the only priest that we've met so far was a woman right Mm -hmm. um right rosalind's you know yeah well i guess she was she wasn't like rosalind's priest but i guess she was like the main priest so she was kind of you know, ended up yeah, being like a sort the, of religious advisor to the priest of state know. or whatever. Like, I don't know what the, like, right. Cause it does feel like, like there's some sort of hierarchy, you know, like a Catholic hierarchy almost or. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or like, I mean, cause they worship, you know, it, it, there's a pan, there's a pantheon, right? So like, sure. Like maybe this is like, Right. Do you have priests to different gods yeah. and goddesses? Yeah, the you know the Oracle at Delphi. Like this is like 
right. the famousest of priests. Um, and so you have, uh, right. So like this brother Cavill, he seems to be more like, like a mendicant type, you know, like maybe he's just like, or maybe he's like the chaplain, like maybe cause he's, mm. he, he must be on the, he's on the Galactica. Right. So like the implication is that he's like, I don't, I mean, I guess we don't necessarily know that he's been on Galactica the whole time, but like, mm-hmm. I could almost see that being his role. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's the chaplain of the fleet, you know, and right. just is like on board there to kind of minister. And like, this is just sort of the first time anyone's really, you know, sought him out. <laughs> right. <laughs> or that right. we've or the seen. the first time that we've yeah. seen. Right. Yeah. Right. That we've seen. Um, right. But that, I mean, that makes sense like you often have that in sort of yeah military situations where you you know have that sort of available and everything for you know for your soldiers and your crew and also um Um, that seems kind of plausible so yeah without really necessarily knowing um well and even i never thought about it before but even like rosalind's priest was kind of dressed in a little bit like more like robes like she had kind of like like Mm -hmm. you know that kind of blue a little bit more not like crazy ornate but like a little bit more like priestly robes whereas like he's in a very simple cavils like in this kind of all black like right you know it looks like more like just a a a different order of some kind and that's why so yeah that's I mean, when I said mendicant, I guess I wasn't necessarily thinking the, the like, beggarly aspect of it. But, like, yeah, like, mm-hmm. the more plain-clothed, like, mm-hmm. yeah, like, more, more, more like a working order than, a, you know, mm-hmm. uh, someone right. who's in a more official position. Yeah. Like right, right. About. And maybe he's, his job is more of a kind of counselor rather than, like, somebody who performs ceremonies or right. you know um so anyway uh we he learned... definitely has a different demeanor than rosalind's priest too yeah. I well mean, and she's that's much more of a of a scholar of the scrolls and a mystic right. and all these kinds of things and he this is a very you know no nonsense not even that you know uh i don't know what adjectives i mean tyrell gets to it when he kind of says are you sure you're a priest like you know he's the kind of most atheistic priest you've ever heard of you know (laughs) like or it's not that he doesn't believe it's just that he doesn't subscribe to any any of this namby-pamby nonsense about the gods like you know making things easy for you he it's almost like deistic in the sense of like well god god put us here and we have to figure it out and they're not involved. So don't expect them to sort of work things out for you. Right. And that, that was exactly what I was thinking too, was, was more deistic in, insofar as, yeah, his position is like, there might be gods somewhere. They're not here. Right. <laughs> so like, we shouldn't expect them to interfere or intervene or enter anything, you know, with what we're actually you know, is going on here. And that's not to say that like you don't believe in them. Like you might believe mm-hmm. they exist or you, and you might even believe that like 
they have a particular plan of -hmm. some kind and that they want people to live a certain way, but that doesn't mean they're going to like enforce that or even facilitate it in any Mm -hmm. particular method. So um, we also learn, you know, some stuff about Tiro as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, One is that his father or parents were priests, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, we didn't know that before. I don't think, I don't think we caught that before. Um, And so like, not that, like there hasn't been any particular like he he says like that he prays to the gods and you know whatever that you know he'll be i don't know i guess a good boy i don't like like i'm I'm not entirely clear on how they're other than sort of the allusions to like greco-roman stuff like i'm not sure like like it's not like maybe a christian praying to god of like take away mm-hmm. my sins kind of thing but you know, there seems to be some sort of like uh, supplication going on there that you know he's talking about. But that you know, on the other hand, Cavill sort of maybe calls him out a little bit and says, like, you know, do you know how useless prayer is? And I think, you know, he's he's talking there more about like, like on the one hand, the uselessness of it in sort of the deistic fashion that we're you know talking about before, but also like. You know, he's kind of calling out uh, Tyrrell and saying, like, you know, chanting and singing and mucking about with old half-remembered lines of bad poetry. Mm. And you know what it gets you? Exactly nothing. And, like, so is that nothing because there's nothing to be gotten from prayer? Or is it is it nothing because, like, it's perfunctory? And, like, mm. Tyrrell's just kind of, like, doing it because that's what his parents taught him to do. But, like... Right. It's not he doesn't necessarily believe it or, um, you know, doing it the right way right. or whatever. The empty kind of formality and, and performance of it, you know, um, so when it's maybe not something that you believe so much as you believe in the the tradition and the ceremony of it. Like, you know, if my prayer is poetic, if I chant the words and sing the songs, that's prayer, you know, and, and he's kind of saying, you know, maybe that's not, that's not what prayer is and it's not gonna, you know, have any sort of power if it's just sort of empty formalism, you know? Yeah. Um, well, and, and I mean, the other point too being, um, the 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 notion of which i think we all probably could use somebody to point this out for us occasionally but this this when things go wrong you know the kind of blaming of something other than ourselves you know of like sure it's you know um you know what he says like it's it's like you're screwed up not the gods, not fate, not the universe, you, you know, and kind of saying like, if you have these issues, you need to look inside for the, you know, the answer to that or the solution to it or to, to find the source of the problem. And, you know, like you kind of get the sense of is Tyrrell kind of going to Cavill. Cavill kind of suggests that it's easier for him to go to, a priest rather than to like a psychologist like you know right. it's easier to talk about 
if bad things happen, why does God, why did God do that? Why did God let this happen? You know, why do bad things happen to good people and not kind of always look at us as the sources of our own, you know, mm. issues. Um, you know, whereas like, you know, Tyrrell maybe didn't wake up that morning intentionally planning to beat up Callie, but he did beat up Callie. And so there, sure. there has to be some level of soul searching here as to like, what is going on with you? And, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's not so much that the universe is screwed up as that people are screwed up and that has to be sort of acknowledged. Yeah. Well, and so the other question is if he prefers a priest over a psychologist, like why is that? And given his background, is it, is it because he thinks maybe he can manipulate or, you know, respond in a way that will make him feel better right. rather than actually fixing whatever the problem is. Right. Um, right. Right. Which is why Cavill's so great because he's almost more psychologist than what you typically think of as priest. Like he sure. doesn't have the, the cliche of the kind of comforting, you know, bedside manner, you know, you're not going to get any religious consolation from this guy, you know, he'll, you know, he might talk to you about religion, but he's also going to be sort of, you know, uh, piercing in his insight, maybe a little too much, you know? Mm. Um, sure. So, well, and well, so then he raises, he kind of, his diagnosis, I guess, mm -hmm. if you want to call it that, is that Tyrrell, you know, has this uh, secret or not so secret death wish, um, yeah. you know, and, and secretly, you know, fears that he's a Cylon like Boomer was. And so he kind of, you know, is afraid of that idea, but also kind of loathes himself because of that idea and so in his dreams he's sort of drawn to this you know suicidal fantasy of you know j jumping off of the railing and everything mm -hmm. um which you know i mean the truth of that will kind of remain to be seen you know as the story unfolds but it does kind of present interesting parallels with boomer i think um you know just the fact that like Tyrrell wakes up, like, why is he sleeping in the hangar deck? You know? Yeah. Like, there's this kind of, almost like some of the beginning of Boomer's episodes of kind of, I'm asleep, but I don't realize it and don't necessarily know where I am. Yes. You know, and she kind of talked about, I, I'm afraid I'm going to do something and I have to be stopped and kind of had suicidal fantasies herself. So... Now, like Cavill says, those could be human, you know, symptoms of some issue as well. It doesn't necessarily prove that right. you're a Cylon and doing a bad thing doesn't necessarily make you a Cylon either. Right. Um, but <laughs> right, because people you know, do bad things all the time. Right, right. And in um, fact, are like, as Cavill says, like you're pretty much guaranteed, like you can stop worrying that you're going to do something bad because right. you will. Yes. Like, you don't have to worry about whether you're going to do something bad. 
you're going to do something bad. I, I suppose if you want it, if you want to take that to the next step, Cavill doesn't say this, but like if you want to take that next step, we should be worried about is what you're going to do and not right. whether you're going to do something bad because you're going to. And right. so. Um, well, and you already beat the crap out of Callie. Right. So you already did something bad. Right. Like, you know. Um, right. Which, you know, it you know leads him to his resolution of like, you, you need to go take care of it now. Right. And like, Mm-hmm. And pointing out how, of all the people this could have happened to, like, Callie's basically the one who's most likely to forgive him of it, too. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we've already seen what she's willing to do for mm-hmm. him. Right. You know, as far as killing Boomer and all of yeah. that. And so... Yeah, for, uh, you know, for him to beat Callie up, like, not saying that she's necessarily going to forgive him immediately, but, like, if there's anyone who's going to forgive him for that, like, for getting the crap beat out of her, you know, Mm -hmm. like, she's kind of the one to do it. And, like, I don't know that Tyrell's ever thought of it that way before. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, this is... it. You know, this is Cavill pointing out, like, I don't know, just that that aspect of it, I guess, to mm-hmm. to Tyrell. Yeah. Um. So. You're like so. Okay, sorry, I've got like five different thoughts running around my head. So I'm trying to <laughs> pick one out. Um, so your comment about um, his waking up being similar to Boomer, I think is a good one too, because that's, that's precisely what he's afraid of. Right. Is that, right. is that something, and the way it happened is kind of that way. Like, you know, he did something before he even realized he was doing it. But again, mm-hmm. like, people do that all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, people have fugue states and, and, Mm -hmm. or, you know, react. And then after the reaction, Mm -hmm. sort of realize the implication of that reaction and, and all of that kind of thing, whether it's instinct or fight or flight or whatever. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, I've been woken up out of a deep sleep and kind of flailed about a little bit. And I mean, I've never beat someone up like he did, but like, there have been times where, like, I remember this one, I this had to be probably 15 years ago now, but, like, this one time where something blew off, you know, like, I had the window open and something blew off and, like, fell down and made a loud noise and I jumped out of bed and was, like, ready to beat up whatever intruder was coming in. But, right, beat you up know, the robber. Yeah. yeah, but it there was nothing there, you know, like, right. well, I mean, there was the thing that fell over, but it was, you know, not a person or whatever. And, and, you know, I mean, I think we all have those moments of like, mm-hmm. you know, just pure adrenaline, you know, animal instinct reaction that the full implications don't come until later. And I mean, that's just kind of a normal human thing, but it's also that, like you said, like with boomer, like you wake up and you're dripping wet and you don't know, why (laughs) like Mm -hmm. 
he was there to see those things happening. Right. And so now that that's a reasonable, at least to him, fear that, right. you know, there, there could be something similar going on with him. Um, right. And, and I feel like, you know, with the, with the idea that there are these hidden Cylons in the fleet and they know that at least some of them might be, you know, sleeper agents. Um, probably, you know, they don't go into it, but I imagine that all or most of the characters in the show have wondered at some point, you know, is it me? You know, am I, is it, am I going to turn out to be, you know, maybe some more than others, but that seems like it would be a common fear. But then, like you said, like, it kind of makes sense that it's Tyrrell having the hardest time with that because of his closeness to Boomer, because he was there to watch her kind of slowly lose her mind a little bit. And then to kind of have the most personal look into what that might feel like to feel like something you don't know your own self and what you're going to do and have no way to stop it or have control over it. Sure. Um, Yeah. Um, so, you know, the other aspect I think is that, uh, well, so one, we also get sort of Cavill joking about like, you know, Tara, well, how do you know I'm human? Well, maybe because I'm a Cylon and I've never seen you at any of the meetings, but like, you know, that's also a possibility, right? Like, well, um, in the mini series, head six makes the same joke. Um, because Baltar, uh, at one point is looking at, maybe he's look, when it's when he's like looking at Doral or something and he's like, you know, how do we know, you know, he is or isn't, I can't remember what the context is. And she jokes something about, oh, I've never seen him at any of the parties, you know, like, I don't right. think so, you know? So right. there is this kind of, you know, uh, running gag, you know, and a kind of, you know, similar you know slightly flippant sense of humor there about you know uh which could be coincidence could be telling you know we don't we don't know yet right and so i mean he does it in a way where tyrell is kind of like yeah yeah okay i get you like right like you can tell but you can't tell and at some point you just have to trust that the person in front of you isn't is human unless you know proven otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's like you, you know, how far down that rabbit hole, you know, do you let yourself go? Like, you know, do you just start yeah. suddenly like distrusting everyone or, or how do you, you know, how do you find that out? And I guess, you know, ultimately you can't really un- until something, you know, until there's some sort of positive proof. Um, and also, like, how far is Baltar in his Cylon detection test at this point? <laughs> like, have we just completely given up on it at this point? Like, It kind of seems like it, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, one too many you know, false negatives and, um, and he's, uh, 
sidetracked with his, you know, his political duties and his, you know, uh, campaigning and, you know, um, it does kind of seem like it got shoved onto the back burner a bit. Um, you know, and then there's the fact that Boomer was given the all clear and, uh, turned out to, yeah, you know, not be, so it could just be a case of, okay, we have test results, but we don't really believe well, them anyway. So are they all that? Well, know, uh, but Baltar knew Boomer was a Cylon. Like he, he, right. he got the, he got the green. Right. Well, the test works. It's just, do any of them realize that except for Baltar, you know? Right. But, but after, after he had tested Boomer, he was testing other people. Like we saw more tests after that. Mm-hmm. So like, we just don't know how far he got in that testing. Right. Sure. And, and probably, you know, assuming Cavill is relatively low on the totem pole of priests, like mm-hmm. probably hasn't got, like he's probably not considered like the biggest of threats. Right. Um, you know, but whatever. All right. So any, any final thoughts on Tyrrell and Cavill there? I mean, you know, again, the end, we end up with, you know, Cavill basically saying, you know, I can't do much for you. You have to go back to work and try to leave all this behind you and, you know, face up to, your deck crew and Callie and, mm-hmm. you know, all of that, but. Right. Right. You know. And, and, you know, look to them for, you know, if you're feeling isolated and lonely and afraid, then you have this family. So turn to them, you know, right. You know, rather than let your fears fester until the point that you start beating up on your friends, you know, uh, like literally, um, you know, value and, you know, turn to your family in the first place. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, and like his line about the gods lift those who lift each other, like sounds, sounds as though it's scripture, you know, like that's a proverb or something that he's sort of, well, it sounds proverbial. So it, it of course sort of is, similar to the the colloquialism of god helps those who help themselves right but right right which isn't actual scripture it's like you know farmer's almanac type thing so like right so like i could almost see that being like yes it has this sort of scriptural sound but i could also given sort of cavill's non-traditional i mean i assume not that i know necessarily what the tradition like taking taking the only other priest that we have as being more of like t- the traditional like mm-hmm. like like they're in the high church and Cavill is part of the low church or something like you know I could see him right. being more like willing to like take something maybe out of the back of a magazine and like <laughs> using it in right. this sort of context or almanac or right. whatever they have you know and and so I'm not you know without like citation i'm not entirely convinced that it is scriptural (laughs) like 
Right. It could just right. be sort of a, you know, colloquialism or something that sure. that sure. gets bandied about as though it's sort of common wisdom. Right. 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 Well, and it, it even kind of is the opposite of God ho- helps those who help themselves. You know, it's, you know, sure. in this, in this I, instance, God doesn't want you to help yourself. He wants you to, if you help others, he will help you. That's sort of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, no, and I didn't that's mean, sort of the notion. I didn't mean necessarily in meaning just, I, I meant like it has that same sort of ring to it of. Right, right. Um, you know, that it it sort of evokes that same kind of not the same idea, but the same sort of feel to it of, you know, being a thing that people say like, well, God lifts up those who lift up each other, you know? So right. Buck up. And it's all, it's almost like a, a, a British, you know, like lift up your chin and, you know, steady on, you know, keep calm and carry on. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Right. Anyway, right. so so that's where we sort of leave them, um, or leave Tyrrell. Anyway, he's got to go back to the deck crew and figure out what's going on. Which I mean, he had to know that, like that. I I guess unless unless he thought he was going to be like killed <laughs> or something, like or charged in some way, like he needs to. He needed to know that that was going to be like the next step at some point, right? Mm-hmm. Of you know, having to face the people, you know, his deck crew and Callie eventually, like mm-hmm. that shouldn't be a surprise to him. But right. Anyway. Um, all right. So the next, I, I want to talk about the election and then we'll save sort of the Caprica stuff for last. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, again, you know, kind kind of straightforward. I mean, a little more, a little more intrigue going on here. Um, and I guess, like, maybe we can start with, like, the Roslyn half of it and the Baltar half, and then maybe talk about the debates sort of together. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, <laughs> I mean, it is kind of funny to see her, like, in her debate prep mode. Like, she's, yeah. you know, you know, she kicks her shoes off and, like, pacing around like practicing and then like her her little ritual of like ripping the the cards in half and tossing them in the air you know to like Mm -hmm. signify that you know there's no more she can do um and then (laughs) she gets the giggles which is yeah the giggle fit is like just the perfect touch i think um which is so like my mom is infamous in our family for like once she starts laughing it's just like she can't stop mm-hmm. and like that's my my older daughter has a trace of that in her as well like so it's mm-hmm. just funny to sort of see that kind of thing and that's that's where you get you know it's the same sort of sense i get of looking at like rosin like it's just that thing of like no matter what like even the more you try to stop the funnier things are yeah. and and the littlest yeah. stupidest most irrelevant thing will set it off again in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, so it's right. Like even funny. when they're walking down the, you know, the, the way Tori, like, yeah, you know, the way Adama holds out his arm or the way Tori looks at her, like sets them off, you know, and, and, you know, and it's not even just giggles. It's that like huge out of control laughter right. and everything, right. which like, 
I feel like with the kind of ominous mood of the opening kind of goes really well. Like you have this really serious stuff going on and then you have like the leaders of the free world with, you know, the future of humanity at stake, just like losing it. Well, and it's, Um, it's a very Whedon-esque sort of thing to do um, as well, where, you know, yeah, like you've got like, you know, in the middle of talking about someone dying, you know, or whatever, or something super serious, you have some throw away diffuse the tension kind of thing yeah yeah Yeah. um but yeah so right and tori so and we've talked before right so tori is the campaign manager right she's Mm -hmm. uh slash assistant or whatever like she's the one who's replacing billy but has Mm -hmm. sort of a completely different role than billy in a way too because Mm -hmm. billy never had to get rosalind elected like Mm-hmm. she ascended or whatever you know to her position and brought him along with her as just like a staffer basically but right you know this is a completely different sort of feel and she's tori is all business right like mm-hmm. like when you're walking to you, you get the sense that her thought is that when when you know you're walking to your big debate you shouldn't be giggling you should be like right. serious and, and in the zone already and you know, that type of thing. Um But yeah. Uh I don't know. Um and then you get Adama who's sort of like almost encouraging it, like like maybe or not encouraging, but like he's kind of not laughing, but like sort of chuckling maybe alongside of her mm-hmm. and like kind of you know, just sort of like letting it run its course in a way. And maybe it's more yeah. a practical thing than, a, uh, you know, whatever, just knowing that like, there's nothing you do to stop it. So you just kind of have to let it run its course, but right, um, right. that's kind of funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as like, so we've talked all about like her giggling and whatnot, but like, as far as like policies goes, like, you know, she's still the same, you know, looking for earth and sort of using the religious card as, you know, her in with the people, right? Like sort of banking on sort of old beliefs and prejudices and whatnot to be, uh, what will get her through. And after the first, well, I mean, we, I guess we'll talk about the debates in a bit. So maybe we should shift over to Baltar. Because, like, he, uh, first words of the episode is him saying, I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose. I <laughs> yeah. love that. With the, like, long pan across, camp, you know, campaign flyers and his, like, a little depressed smoking in the corner just his admission to nobody else but head six will he admit the awful truth of i'm gonna lose <laughs> he hates to lose it's just a great yeah way to open the episode but like obviously a nice bookend with the ending of the episode when he's his fortunes have shifted a bit but um yeah well and kind of where it starts is that i mean Rosalind, in terms of policies 
we know her policies, like in her, you know, you know, a vote for Rosalind for better or worse, you know, is, is a vote for continuation of like, okay, like this is working well enough and we are going to vote to continue with her leadership and how things are going and keep looking for earth and all this kind of thing. Whereas like, you know, Baltar in the beginning of this episode is still searching for what his policies actually would be or how would they be different than hers? Like, you know, okay. He wants to lose because to satisfy his own ego because he hates to, or he wants to win. I should say, um, he hates to lose. Um, but you know, the question is like, why would anybody vote for that? You know, like what is it that's going to give him any sort of advantage? Um, what does he have to offer that, you know, other than just attacking her, you know, he has to offer something positive that she's not offering. Mm. Um, you know, that's kind of the question and he doesn't have it, which is why he's saying I'm going to lose. Like he knows, he knows he doesn't have it. He knows they, they call him an empty suit on the radio. Like, and that's kind of what he is in the beginning. Well, and right. So it's that, it's that difference of, you know, if your campaign is completely just negative, like, like, do you, you know, if you have nothing positive to bring to the table, like, can you win by simply attacking everything the other person does? And I mean, in some cases that does work, but not like Rosalind's fairly popular. Like people seem overall to like her and, and like the idea of, what they've been going after since the beginning of, uh, you know, the hope that there's something out there, not to mention that like, mm-hmm. you know, she led them to COBOL and mm-hmm. like now they have an idea sort of, at least of the direction in which earth lies. So mm-hmm. it's not completely, you know, whatever she's already managed to come out of the other side of a military coup and retain some Mm -hmm. sort of power and you know like there's a lot to be sort of said in the relatively short time that she's been president already and and not to mention that she's like defeated cancer somehow miraculously like no one else seems to really know the details about it other than a couple people and so you know there's all of these little you know things going on that sort of give her that edge you know, mm-hmm. that wouldn't, that a simple negative, you know, anti-establishment campaign wouldn't necessarily be able to, you know, take down on it on, you know, their own. And that's, and that's Zarek, right? Like, I mean, Zarek has a history and knows that he wouldn't win anyway, but like that was, that was his method of doing things, right? It was to destroy, literally, like blow shit up blow stuff Mm -hmm. up um and you know that didn't work (laughs) got him thrown in prison and like a reputation where like basically only fundamentalists and you know 'er ne'er-do-wells will like listen to him um right but not sort of the mainstream voters and that's like he at least knows that much but like with baltar yeah he he needs to find that thing that is going to be proactive rather than just simply reacting and disagreeing with everything that Rosalind says and does. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got Head Six sort of in his, well, head, uh, you know, talking to him about, like, you know, if you if you just have faith, then, you know, it'll all work out the way it should be. Uh, you know, you've been chosen, you know, it'll, it'll happen and, you know, all of this stuff. So, but at the well, same time, like saying to him, like, you still need to get your act together and like, not, you know, I mean, yes, let things happen, but also like, don't actively like be an idiot, you know, about it. Right, right. Well, in in a kind of God helps you if you help yourself kind of way. Like, God will help you, but you also have to, like, get it together and pay attention. And, you know, um, you know, and he, he's very, you know, his usual sarcastic disbelieving self in this episode about, oh, yes, the hand of God is going to come down and win me the election. But, like, we've had instances of the hand of, seemingly, the hand of God sweeping in and clearing paths for him, you know? And, you know, uh, he's, at least in his own mind, had contact with a sort of divine plan that, you know, has Guy's Baltar at the sort of center of it. Um, Like, you know, there was that episode called The Hand of God, where he decided that he was the hand of God because his hand randomly pointed to the one spot on the map that was the thing they needed to blow up and everything. Sure. Um, So it's sort of like, you know, six having to, the head six having to constantly sort of remind him of, of that, you know, um, maybe if you put a little effort into it, the hand of God will help you out. Um, So, uh, and maybe that kind of brings us to the point of what might be the hand of God in this election, because there's this, as you mentioned earlier, this sort of accidentally um, fortunate for Baltar, uh, the discovery of this planet, um, mm. you know, which kind of does uh, miraculously sort of turn things around for him. Um, and I kind of, I like the progression of, it's clear in the beginning that Baltar has no interest in the planet. And in, and in fact, like even thinks settling there would be a terrible idea. You know, he kind of says like, like, why do we care about this planet? This is not a good place to live. Like only like what, like 20% of it was like even really habitable and it would like, you know, mm-hmm. be a barren, tough existence. And, you know, this is stupid. Um, you know, until, you know, Zarek starts to get this idea and, you know, Head Six has the line about, you know, pay attention, you're about to win the election. Um, mm. You know, and just this notion that, oh, this could be the issue. And suddenly the the planet looks, you know, uh, inviting in a way that it, didn't before yeah right and not that maybe he even thinks the planet is any better 
like he doesn't change his mind right. about the planet, but as right. a as a tool, you know, to to differentiate himself in a way that gives him a positive, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, thing to fight for rather than simply fighting against Roslyn the whole time. Like, because if all he says is like, yeah, we shouldn't be listening to Roslyn, like, you know, that can imply like we shouldn't be looking for Earth and all of that. But then it's like, well, what do we do instead? But right. now, right. you know, through this, miraculous or at least semi-miraculous you know discovery it's like not not only does it give him something to like point to instead of sort of attacking Roslyn you know but direct people to but it's also right here like we know where it Mm -hmm. is and it's close by and it seems to be capable of you know sustaining human life and all of that so why not like why not just you know take the bird in hand and you know stop going and like even i don't he doesn't use this argument or whatever but there's even like something to say like hey why not just stop here let people rest here for a while and just send out like a party you know like if you want to still look for earth go look for earth like we can send one of the battle right. stars even to go do that. Come, like, come get it. We, we've got two. We we've got it. two battle stars. We can send one of yeah. them to go look for Earth, and right, you know, then come back and get us, like when they found it. And, right, and right, you know, like there's there's different possibilities there that he can take with it, but yeah, it becomes it becomes a positive thing, and not not just a positive thing, but something that is easier and makes sense to people and. You know, you hear that like people are already wanting, you know, people want to stand on firm ground again. Like they're sick of being in spaceships and, you know, not all, not everyone lives on cloud nine. Right. So like you got some of these people who have been on these like, you know, factory ships or whatever that are not doing so hot and, you know, just want to have solid ground under their feet and that makes it a lot more because it's easy and tangible and something that they know is right there available for the taking makes it Mm -hmm. a much more attractive option than, you know, continuing to set out in the faith that there's some 13th colony out there somewhere, maybe. Right. Right. It's, it's instant gratification of, what they need and want as opposed to you know shooting for the moon but it may not go anywhere they may never if you stick keep going for earth and you may never find it you know whereas this planet is definitely this is a sure thing um right you can shoot for the moon land among the stars but you might blow up in the process yeah or like you're still left wandering around the stars like you know it's not gonna like (laughs) you know like that's the prospect of that like just forever you know for the rest of their lives is you know which i remember um you know i think i mentioned that i watched this series by myself and then i also watched it again with with my parents um and uh i remember kind of in the kind of post episode discussion which there would always be um uh 
the question kind of coming up of like, if you were in the fleet, how would you vote? And you have to kind of admit that like, if you're, you know, John Doe in the fleet and you're not privy to all of these, like, you know, we as the audience have a very privileged position about Roslyn and Baltar to know like who we should be placing, you know, trust in. Sure. But if you're, if you're just random person in the fleet and you're stuck in a metal tin for however long, you know, and smooth Baltar comes up and plops this planet right down in front of you, you can see kind of the appeal of that. It's not hard to imagine yourself, you know, putting your, your, your vote and your trust in that, you know? And especially if your impression of him is as this award-winning scientific critical thinker. Yeah. And, and you don't see, you're not like one of the people who sees him like off to the side talking to himself, you know, exactly. (laughs) You know, all the time or whatever, or, or maybe have seen some of his more, or heard some of his more crazy things, you know? Right. Um, Right. You know, yeah. Like the public things that you know about, like, like if you're like, whatever the BSG equivalent of like a Wikipedia page is, right. Like if that's what you know about him, then, you know, versus uh, the former education secretary who might be a perfectly fine person, but what does she really know about like, stars and navigation and science you know like right i could totally see myself being Mm -hmm. you know someone who would you know say yeah let's let's do this instead right and especially i think they you know there's also the added things of um you know there's this whatever it was i don't even remember like some sort of atmospheric thing that like messes with like their sensors so like Mm. on top of um, on top of this perfectly convenient planet it's shielded so you know uh, you know i think gata says at one point like the the silence would probably never find it so it's not only a good planet it's a hiding spot so it's not like we just sit here and wait for those silence to inevitably follow our trail but we might actually be able to permanently, because that's another thing too. If you keep going for Earth, you're keeping up the the chase, you know, the kind of relentless pursuit of the Cylons. Whereas, you know, a, a hidden planet is a, an escape from that. Sure. Um, so it like you may never even find another planet that is suitable, you know, even if it's not Earth. This might be like the best place to you know to sort of choose um although as Rosalind points out uh that is no guarantee that they couldn't find it or that they haven't already found it so it's you know um you know it's still a gamble it's not a sure thing by any stretch Mm -hmm. yeah so all right um we get the two of them. So, so yeah, so the planet comes up. So Baltar decides that that's going to be, well, Zarek kind of points it out and Baltar is like, ah. and then head six is like, no, no, listen to him. And so they decide to make that like 
the differentiating feature and go into this debate and Baltar pretty handily wins it according to like the mm -hmm. media and you know sort of the reports after the fact so we we have basically a 180 degree turn from the beginning which you know mm -hmm. Roslyn comes out of the first debate as like you know pretty much ahead and no one can see how Baltar could ever win and yeah. then it's like suddenly oh here's a new planet and suddenly everyone sees how Baltar can win <laughs> right, like right. um and not only that but like now how like just in the space of days or a day or whatever like how backwards thinking everyone is thinking mm -hmm. that Roslyn is now right mm -hmm. like that that right you know she's like she's gone from being like hopeful and pioneering and and leading the people across the galaxy to a new like you know a sort of interstellar moses figure mm -hmm. she's gone from that to now being inflexible in light of new evidence and revelations right like mm -hmm. now she is sort of quixotic and can't really you know she she's not using her brain she's just sort of now going on this fool's mission of wanting to mm -hmm. lead people to someplace that might not even exist right. um which i mean yeah coming like, up on a, on like, an, sorry god well i was just gonna say like it, it's sort of mysticism and religion is all well and good when you have no practical alternative <laughs> and then you, sure. you give people like uh, you know a practical choice and suddenly that all goes out the window and it's <clears> silly <throat> you know pie in the sky nonsense and not like real you know serious scientifically based you know it whereas like Rosalind's position hasn't changed it's just you know everyone's perception of what their choices are um and what kind of makes sense in terms of you know the alternatives mm. yeah so all right um just shortly maybe we can talk about the caprica campaign mm -hmm. then um so starbucks plan pretty basic i mean not basic but it's like oh hey we can install Cylon tech in our ships. And instead of the hundreds of jumps that we were told a couple, a few episodes ago that it would take to get back to Capricorn. Now we can do it in like 10 jumps. And mm -hmm. um, just so happens we have a Cylon here who's willing to help us get there and all of that. Um, so yeah, so they're going to jump into Caprica, like basically jump into the atmosphere of Caprica to like avoid the blockade or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, that the Cylon ships above it would, you know, prevent them from, you know, being able to to get past, you know, to get through. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, other than losing racetrack on the first jump, which... <laughs> Like, you know, like, that depends. Like, like I don't think we've ever considered racetrack to be particularly, uh, you know, uh, uh, incompetent or anything, mm -hmm. you know, before. So, like, was it a 
malfunction you know was it was it the gods or the cylon god or whatever yeah like right you know you can probably come up with any number of explanations for why she right. doesn't make it you know on that first jump but it is what it is it's either fortuitous or ruinous however you end up looking at you know whichever side you take in that debate but um mm-hmm. other than that like you know they make all the rest of the jumps apparently fine until they get to caprica then they like there's one ship or it's a one or two that like jump into the mountain and uh, i think just one just yeah. the one um as which, far as i can which remember there's which means they're still under their quota right like they like right three ships then you got to go back but they've only lost two at this point and and one of right. them's not really lost like i mean they right. don't they don't know that racetrack made it back to the bsg but um mm-hmm. you know like they've only lost two ships at this point so they're they're still within mission parameters um right. yeah but otherwise they make it to caprica meet up with uh sam and and his crew and uh they're all real happy for a minute until the cylons start bombing at them yep and uh yep and we kind of hear that it's kind of uh good timing because sam and his crew are like in the woods because they got attacked that morning so and like wiped out like half of you know their camp so it's sort of the rescue mission is kind of meeting them as they're fleeing from the Cylons, which are then now attacking the whole group. Um, right. So, and so, yeah, it's, so it's successful up to a point, but they've already sustained these casualties. And then now, you know, they're kind of, the Cylons are right behind them. So. Yeah. And, and they're meeting up with a much smaller group than they thought. Like they're not really mm-hmm. adding that much right. to, the fleet. Right. Yeah. You know. Right. So. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So, I don't, I mean, that one's pretty straightforward. I don't know that we need to talk too much there. Like, I, that's where we end. And so, presumably we'll pick up there. But, may, you know, who knows? Maybe not. We've got these other threads sort of going. And, and we've got the whole rest of the election to, to see, I mm-hmm. guess. So. That's where we'll pick up next time. Um, Election drama. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, good thing because we haven't had much of that recently anyway. So. Yeah. I've, I've you know, I've been missing it these last couple weeks. So. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, we can move on to uh, Angel and talk about some uh, some stuff there. Yeah. Um. Actually, I didn't put this in the notes, but um, wanted to just bring up the title really quick. Um, mm. You know, couplet, which isn't specifically referenced in the episode, the idea of a couplet, but, you know, um, I guess just a little, you know, poetic nod to this notion of the the, the romantic pairs that are coupling off mm-hmm. um, and sort of... Uh, you know, going off sort of on their own and everything. I don't know if you had any particular thoughts on the the title or not. Um. Uh, no, not particularly. I mean, yeah, like you said, like it's, I mean, it's, so a couplet is typically 
you know, the, the two lines rhyme together. Right. So, mm-hmm. right. um, yeah, like there's something resonating between the two of them, but yeah, no, I don't, I mean, I think other than just like, like you said, like the couple sort of pairing off, like, I don't know that there's too much in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, since we're I'm... talking like production notes, I mean, oh yeah, Go ahead. Ri- written by Tim Minear and Jeffrey Bell, um, who uh, co-wrote Billy as well, right at uh-huh. the um, earlier in this season, um, or was that? Yeah, no, I think it was earlier this season. Um, yeah, I think so. And uh, and then they've each written episodes on their own but what we get and also tim minear directed this um so which you know he's been doing some more directing i think this is the second or third one that he directed in this season Mm -hmm. so far so um yeah i mean again jeffrey bell is the one who goes on to be the showrunner at some point and tim minear Mm -hmm. is heavily involved um remember we're in 2002 like beginning of the Mm -hmm. year so this is basically i don't i i would assume whedon is working on firefly at this point um or if not like soon very soon will be and Mm -hmm. um tim minear has said that he was basically running angel when when whedon was doing firefly so like Mm -hmm. um yeah, I mean, this is this is very much, you know, David Greenwald is still ostensibly the showrunner at this point. So mm-hmm. not, you know, I don't want to like drown him out because he will, you know, be the one to write this season finale and, and sells it another episode or two. But, you know, it's like these are like numbers two and three, you know, mm-hmm. writing in this episode here and, and sort of the future of the arc of the show will be in their hands uh right you know going right. forward as well so yeah anyway right all good points um and so one more thing i hadn't planned to talk about but like i guess just overall um you know the 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 tone of the episode this is very much like angel as like a rom-com um Hmm. you know it's like it uh, you know i was gonna say all of the storylines there's really kind of only two storylines you know it's sort of sure angels you know and they're kind of just slightly separate takes on the same story exactly that's that's kind of what i was starting to work my way towards was like, you kind of have that angel Cordy grew stuff. And then you have the like Wesley Fred gun stuff, but both of them are this, uh, you know, these triangles um, where, you know, you Mm -hmm. have, you know, a couple that's gotten together and then, you know, the, the, the third wheel who's, you know, sort of pining from the outside. Um, And, um, yeah, and they are kind of slightly different versions of exploring that kind of theme. Um, but like, and I say rom-com meaning like it's a particularly comedic take on that, you know? Like, not that there's not, you know, real 
you know, feelings involved, because obviously there are, but um, I feel like the comedy is very high in this episode and the mm. kind of like, you know, um, the the little the little petty jealousies and, you know, sure. and the misunderstandings and the kind of like, you know, slightly farcical bits like, you know, grew wearing angels look ending up looking just like, you know, just when angels being convinced that he's not being replaced, you get grew coming in with like right. know, short hair and like a leather jacket or, and everything. Or like when Wesley's telling him he's unique, like, you know, these precious books. And then right. the book seller comes out and says, Oh, I have three copies. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. Right. Like, like they're real feelings, but they're all slightly being sent up a little bit. Like angel is being kind of gently mocked throughout the episode. I feel like for sure. his feelings, you know, um, by, I guess by some of the characters, but even more so by like the episode in general, mm. um, like just like the tone of how it's written and everything. Um, sure. well, and like Lauren even says like, oh, there's definitely something between you and Cordy, but it has like a really crappy sense of timing, you know? Um, right. you know, like just, there's this, this sense of like, oh, one second too late, you know, you're, you're, you almost had it. And then, you know, that fate is sort of, you know, playing with you a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so, whereas, like, even in, like, Waiting in the Wings, which was the last episode, it had a, like, it kind of was about the romance, but in a slightly more, I guess, a slightly kind of darker, dangerous way of, like, you know, you had kind of the tension of, how far will Cordy and Angel have to go under the influence of this spell and what will happen if they do? Mm -hmm. And how is that going to affect the way they really feel about each other? Um, and you had Fred and Gunn getting together, but then you had Wesley seeing them. So you had the kind of like, you know, the, the pain of that for him, but then also kind of wondering how is he going to react? Is he going to be in like a jealous rage or not? So it had these kind of darker undertones i feel like whereas this episode treats everything much more lightly i think sure. um you know which is neither is better or worse i'm just sort of pointing out that there's yeah. like a slight a slight shift yeah um so to return to the title momentarily to um you know i mean we're talking about the couples you know as couplets but of course the title singular so it could be mm. you know looking at the parallel of the two stories as a couplet itself is is kind of sure. another way that you could right you know uh see that there yeah that is a very good point um um yeah there's also i mean i guess i don't know that this really works but i was gonna say like no, because Wesley, so I was thinking of the translation at the end, but it's three mm. lines that he has, right? Um, oh, oh, what if it had ended in a couplet? That would yeah. have been perfect. Yeah, well, I was trying to think of like, that's the translation, but I don't, I don't remember, I don't remember if the actual, the actual like, like text, text. yeah, could, maybe that's a couplet. I don't know. Uh, 
That would be great. Yeah, like... I, if that's not true, it should be. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, like, I'd, I'll have to go back and, like, look at it. I yeah. could try to pull it up here, but it would probably take too much time. Yeah. Um. Um. Well, and... Not to jump to the very end, but you get Angel and Connor as another couple at the end. Um, you know, which isn't really uh, the main part of the episode, but a kind of nice and unexpected resolution to it. Um, although not so nice when you pair it with Wesley's translation. So um, there's another kind of important pair there. Um mm. Okay. So, I mean, I feel like this episode is much more uh, complicated than the BSG one in terms of the characters are all interacting with each other and interweaving and going, pairing off and then going over here and interacting over there and all that sort of thing. Um, so I think it's just easiest to kind of talk about them in their two separate groups. Um because for the most part, that's kind of, you know, how they sort of are divided. So I want to start with talking about uh, Gru and then, you know, mainly Angel and Cordy's sort of reactions to him now being here. Um, so we got him at the previous episode, you know, they come back from the ballet mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and he's there and that's the sort of surprise you know disappointment for angel after you know sparks starting bit. to fly with cordy yeah. um so you know that's kind of where this episode starts and you pointed out before we started recording that it starts with them in their different houses you know uh, at their closets sort of taking off the the ballet you know fancy clothes and putting on like you know regular clothes and everything Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, you have Angel talking to Lorne, um, who kind of seems like the nanny now. Like, whenever we see Lorne, he's taking care of Connor. That's sort of, you know, yep. uh, his job th these days. Um, and, uh, and Cordy is talking to Gru, who, uh, goes back to the apartment with her. Which, you know, so Angel sort of immediately, you know, perturbed by that, you know, that like, yeah, you know, uh, time is not really, you know, to be wasted and uh, they're heading straight back to Cordy's place. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, you get their separate conversations and um, Angel's weird obsession with how tall you know, the Grusologus. He keeps asking, you know, I remember him being taller and, you know, later on he, when Wesley thinks that he, when Wesley's trying to talk about Connor again and he assumes he's talking about the Grusolog and does, you know, maybe evil, does he seem shorter to you? Like, right. his evilness and his shortness are kind of go hand in hand, like, <laughs> but like, and that's kind of what I mean about the comedy is like, I don't think Angel really thinks that the Grusalog is threatening in any sort of like evil demonic way. Um, it's those little petty jealousies of, oh, he's, you know, he's tall. He's taller than me. 
Um, which Cordy points out later that, you know, mm-hmm. they look the same and they're basically the same size, but the Gruselug is a little taller. Um, <laughs> sure. So, um, yeah. And so, you know, the funny conversations with Lauren and Wesley that both everyone gets kind of confused about who they're talking about. Um, you know, I remember being taller. Well, no, they don't get tall. They don't get smaller until they're very, very old. And, you know, I was, ta- I was, I wasn't talking about the baby. I know. I was talking about the gruselug. I know. Um, so yeah, funny little, you know, silly banter. Um, you know, an angel kind of tries to shrug off, um, the magic between him and Cordy as, just plain old magic not like you know right. not like romantic chemistry which i feel like he's been trying to do that for several episodes now and it's you know it's not really getting any more convincing at this point um you know not for yeah. lauren or for or for us really um you know and kind of insisting that this is probably it's better for Cordy to have somebody else because, you know, his same old shtick of what can I offer her? I like being alone anyway. I'm used to it. This mm-hmm. is this is sort of the way it should be. Right. Um, and so Cordy, meanwhile, um, <clears throat> excuse me, is, um, you know, she and the Gru are getting uh, reacquainted when she has uh you know, a vision of a big, you know, spiny thing, as she puts it, right in her face. Um, And (laughs) that kills the mood. So. Sure. Yeah, like all this kind of, you know, banter, you know, and and mistaken, you know, like. Sure. Everyone kind of of speaking on multiple. That's, yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. Like everyone's speaking on like multiple levels and. Um, kind of misunderstanding each other right. and reading kind of dirty things into what each other are saying and everything. Um, um, right, and her fear that like calm shocking with Gru will you know make her lose her virginity, right? And you know right. stuff like that. Um, right. which I feel right. like is more sort. Of, I guess if we were to call it like classic Cordy, like you know Buffy mm-hmm. Cordy. Um, mm-hmm you know, of her just sort of saying what comes to mind and not mm. really thinking through the implications, at least until after the fact. Right. Um, yeah. Right. Um, which but, is, which um, is always fun. Yeah. But I, you know, so the point about her visionity, um, I think is important because even though it's like, again, just because it's funny, doesn't mean it's not like, you know, serious to her sure um and this is you know so we've had all this season her getting you know more and more sort of comfortable with her role and confident and now she has this you know she not only has you know the the visions which give her a sort of purpose but she has like control of the visions and they you know uh she can kind of handle them a lot better so you know the notion that being close with Gru could rob her of that 
is, you know, a real fear, especially because we know that was the point of the, the Kamshuk, right? Um, mm -hmm. And then also that's how Doyle transferred them to her was through, you know, their kiss was through that kind of like, you know, now maybe he intentionally did that, but it was like that romantic, you know, moment that he transferred over that power. So there's like a real concern here that for her, you know, being close to him could do that. Um, and actually it like reminds me of Angel. Um, like now, like Cordy's in a position of, you know, if I'm close to somebody, it could have, you know, a consequence that I don't want that could be bad. Mm -hmm. um, and so her, you know, if the visions kind of make her a champion like Angel does, it also kind of isolates her just like it kind of does with him. Um, you know, and slightly differently, obviously, like Angel's, we've talked a lot about how his has to do with like, you know, his happiness. So the rules aren't quite the same, but there's this similar sense of like, you now have this high and lonely destiny that, you know, prevents you from having real intimacy and all those kind of things. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, so I'm sorry, my cat is snoring behind the computer. It's distracting me. <laughs> Were you just going to say that? I, I, thought I heard her and I was just I was not gonna I wasn't gonna say anything but then <laughs> I just like lost my train of thought for a second because yeah. she's being kind of noisy back there um <laughs> I don't know she fell asleep behind the computer hopefully the noise reduction in the yeah <laughs> yeah sorry about that she like kind of wheezes when she gets really deep asleep it's funny um so, okay. So there's Angel's sort of fears about, uh, or his kind of, dis not so much fear, but just, because he was never really with Cordy, but his kind of disappointment to have, you know, the Grusalug sort of sweep in as soon as he's about to be close to Cordy. And then on top of that, now you have these fears about him just being replaced in general, you know, because Gru is another champion, you know, um, and can, like Angel says, he can do all the same things as Angel, but more because, you know, he can go out in the sunlight and we get the whole scene of, you know, them chasing the demon out, you know, uh, you know, from the sewers and everything. Um, so we get to uh, Wesley's uh, pep talk as we're sort of calling it. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. and... It's a little uh, it's a little better than Cavill's pep talk, but... Yeah. yeah, like it actually is a real, you know, pep talk. Um, although, like you said, undercut, because the big finish is how he's unique, like a rare book. <laughs> right. And then, you know, well, we've got three of this one. So, you know, again, like... Wesley's not mocking him, but like the episode is a little bit like it's just sort of teasing sure. him and kind of saying like, yeah, books are rare, but they're not, you know, 
Right. But they're not they're necessarily not totally technically irreplaceable. unique. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, there can be three that are basically the same. Mm. Um, so, but like, you know, obviously Wesley's point is, you know, well taken that, uh, they're not with Angel because of what, just because of like what he alone can do, but because of who he is, which that's part is the irreplaceable part. Like, it's not just that he's like a good fighter, you know, it's that, you know, he is, you know, chosen by the powers that be and, you know, a subject of prophecy and all these things. Um, mm -hmm. And that that's the, it's his sort of, his personal mission, which motivates the whole group, which is obviously something that, you know, the Grusalug, the Grusalug may have prophecies of his own, but he can't sort of replace angels. Sure. Um, and so there's sort of, you know, it's not about what skills you have, um, but, you know, who you are as a person, that is sort of the important thing. So, yeah, well, right. And I think there's also, so part of all that too, is that Angel, Angel sort of like, you know, in this crisis of identity, um, as far as like feeling like he could be replaced, but like, he was, he was kind of there first and like, I mean, you could argue, I guess, that, like, Doyle was the one who sort of brought the mission to him, you know, so mm -hmm. to speak. But but even when Doyle was there, like, Doyle was like, hey, I found you because you are a champion. And, like, mm -hmm. like Angel's always been the one that, you know, he's sort of the center of the wheel and the others are all kind of the spokes. Mm -hmm. um, and grew is just another spoke in a way like I, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I guess we don't know if he's going to stick around or how long he'll stick around or whatever, but like he might be a champion in the sense of like, yes, he's like gone off and like fought things like in his own world. And he knows a lot about fight, but like this episode too, and we can talk about like the tree stuff and whatever in a bit, but like, I think part of this episode like shows you that like, like, even with, like, the dressing up in Angel's clothes, like, mm. like, Gru's not taking over Angel's position. He's mimicking Angel's position, mm -hmm. right? Like, mm -hmm. he can't, you know, he just, this is, this isn't like, you know, the, the Prince and the Pauper where they're sort of, like, swapping out one for the other. It's, you know, he just happens to be, okay, so he, he fits in and, like, you know, he's good with swords and maybe in some cases even a little better in some things you know or whatever but like you know because he can run out into the sun or whatever but like that doesn't that doesn't that ability doesn't give you a mission that just mm -hmm. means that like there are certain things that you can do better but that's the case like wesley's better at the research than angel is you know and right. Well, Cordy has the vision. No, it's not that she's better at visions necessarily. It's just that she's the one who has them. Like that's her skill and her ability. And, you know, she's got other things. And, you know, Fred's 
really smart and creative and you know all of that so like like that just because someone else can do something better than you doesn't mean they're going to replace you and just and even if there's like a lot of similarities doesn't necessarily mean that that person has the same like sort of sense of mission and like we don't know what grew how he has mm-hmm. or hasn't been picked you know by the powers that be and he's there for Cordy which mm-hmm. nobody like even with even with Fred and Gunn neither of them became part of the group because the other one was part of the group you know what I mean right. like like they didn't you know they came together because they were both already part of the group and right you know doing what they were doing so there is still that sense of angel you know you know as as wesley sort of hints at that angel's the reason they're all there and you can't just like without that you know center of the wheel like all the Mm -hmm. spokes would sort of fall off and Mm -hmm. be their own things like you can't just replace that right so i don't know right well and that's you know uh you know you know the answer to this question but for me going forward it's kind of a question of is that something that guru can attach himself to you know can he become personally invested in angel and angel's mission beyond his you know motivation to be there with cordy um so you know that's that's the question um, and I think that's a good point about, you know, he can dress like Angel, but that doesn't, you know, that's a superficial similarity, you know, which I think kind of that works sort of metaphorically with the climax because you have the tree sort of sucking the life out of people and, you know, he starts sort of sucking the life out of Gru and then Angel sort of brags and taunts him and gets him to switch over but then, you know, Angel probably looks exactly the same, but then what's on the inside of him is mm-hmm. different. You know, he has these other layers on the inside that, you know, make him, you know, unique and unpredictable. And, you know, it's that which is able to defeat, you know, the, the demon tree, um, you know, which is like not all good. I mean, it's the fact that he's not living, which makes him, you know able to you know defeat the tree but it's that sense of he and Gru can look exactly alike but that doesn't mean that they're alike on the inside yeah yeah definitely Um, although i'm not sure angel would necessarily say that's a good thing either (laughs) no no i don't think that I don't think that he would. Um, So, in the meantime, Cordy, with this dilemma um, of wanting to, you know, get close to Gru, and, uh, you know, she says, I'm tired of being lonely. You know, Cordy hasn't had a lot of relationships in the course of this series, you know, like, it's not like, 
it's not the same old Cordy from Sunnydale who had, you know, the guys following her around or was with Xander for a good chunk of the time. Um, mm. Like, you know, we've seen her largely be, you know, single, I think, through, you know, the Angels series. Um, so there's, you know, she kind of talks about just feeling this loneliness and feeling torn between the duty to the visions and also just for, you know, her own reasons, not wanting to lose the visions, not just that she has the duty, but that she actually doesn't want to give them up. But then also um, feeling like she's missing something and not able to really, you know, be with Gru the way she would like to be. So she sends Angel, of course, you know, because this is the rom-com, so we have to make this as awkward as possible. She sends Angel along with Gru to go to, like, you know, the brothel to pick up the, you know, the potion. Um, the, um, what does Wesley call it? Like a magical prophylactic or something. <laughs> um yeah. Which, you know, that kind of makes sense. Like like she says, like there have to be lots of creatures that want to, you know, uh, have sex without losing powers that might be transferred that way. So there must be some sort of magic that can stop that from happening. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so she sends them there. And I don't know that there's much more to say about that part of the plot other than that they get it um and uh and she and grew have it at the end and go walking off into the sunset for their little vacation that angel sends them on yeah and so by the end not only is he sort of you know begrudgingly accepting of them he also sort of helps them out throughout the episode i mean he you know, uh, doesn't, you know, give them a hard time about it. He, uh, goes and, you know, helps get the potion and, you know, saves the day on the end. And at the end he, you know, gives them some money and says, you know, take two weeks off and don't come back. Um, so yeah, yeah he sort of although... resolves to deal with his issues by sort of just helping them out. And that's kind of his answer is if it, if it's making them happy and it's best for the group, then, you know. Sure. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, mm -hmm. you can interpret it that way. Okay. There's, there's also the sense in which you could maybe interpret it in like, okay, there's like, this is happening but it doesn't have to happen here. <laughs> like, sure. Like, yeah, just that sense of like, right. I would rather, if this is going like, to happen, I would rather it not be around me. So I just want to get them away from mm -hmm. where I am. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't have anything beyond that, sure. but like, just just said there's an a maybe less uh altruistic interpretation there um mm -hmm. as well um and admit like i mean i'll admit that's sort of the way 
I tend to read it, but I mean, I don't, mm-hmm. I think you can read it either way. Like that's, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think there's sort of a right or wrong way, you know, to necessarily yeah. take it. I just, I don't know. I don't have an argument for it. It just sort of strikes me. Yeah. Yeah. Or a bit of both, you know, uh, here's a, a selfless thing, which also kind of satisfies, you know, you know, Angel not having to sort of put up with it for, you know, mm-hmm. for a while. Um, which maybe makes it not selfless. But then I do think, I think there's at least some, at least the way I read it, which I agree, like there's no real way to prove this, but I guess just kind of my impression of, the way it was performed was that there was at least some notion of doing something for Cordy, even if he wasn't happy about it. Mm. Um, you know, of at least acknowledging what it would mean to her. Um, but there's no reason he can't do something nice for her and also get something out of it. Um, so Yeah. Um, And then at the end, too, there's the kind of little, you know, moment with with Connor of, you know, um, I thought I was alone. And then, yeah, so did I with, you know, Connor there, you know, and the notion of just because he's not with Cordy doesn't mean he's alone. You know, that there are other kinds of relationships and that, you know, he at least has some satisfaction in his baby, even if it doesn't satisfy completely. Yeah. Um, Okay. So switching over to the other trio of uh, Gunn and Fred and Wesley, um, I guess I get more of a sense of straightforward interference on Wesley's part than I did on Angel's, at least until you pointed it out. Um, You know, with Wesley, you get him very pointedly uh, sending a gun off on a mission on his own. Yeah. Um, And then being disappointed when Fred kind of jumps up and tags along without being asked to, you know. Um, Like for him, this was, you know, he'll start he'll start arranging the schedule in a way that, you know, uh, suits his preferences and everything. Um, so yeah. Um, and so we, we, I think the first scene that we get with Gunn and Fred is when they're having breakfast, right? Which we kind of get the impression that they've been doing this for a while. Um, so, it's sort of, other than Wesley, who sort of saw them together, um, nobody else really notices that there's anything different at first because it's sort of just how they've been acting for a while, um, that they've been sort of going off on their own together. Um, so, like, Cordy and Angel don't really pick up on it. Um, in fact, Cordy and Angel make, like, a bunch of references to how, like, nobody's getting anything in this group. Right. Like, so there's all this kind of irony of, Wesley's sort of sitting there with this knowledge and he can't, like, say anything. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that there's a ton to really go into. I mean, now that Gunn and Fred have sort of acknowledged their feelings, um, they're being careful about not letting it out to the group or a little bit careful, not super careful. Um, they're at least trying to pretend that they're not together, but definitely like they're, you know, a couple now. Um, like things have shifted and changed um, mm -hmm. and they're like in a different place. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so Wesley sends them off on this kind of surveillance mission, which they are totally not paying attention to and you know they're paying attention to each other instead of the guy that they're supposed to be staking out um you know which of course gets them in trouble as they get sucked under the earth and everything um and then don't want to ask wesley to come bail them out mm -hmm. um so yeah i don't know that i have a lot else about like gun and fred in particular i don't know if if you do no, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's new relationship stuff, right? Like, Fred seems a little oversensitive about, like, having breakfast together for some reason, mm -hmm. even though, like, they've apparently been having breakfast together for several weeks now. Mm -hmm. um, so is that, like, maybe the hypersensitive awareness of each other and, you know... Mm -hmm. uh they enjoy making out a lot apparently even to the point of you know not doing their jobs properly but fortunately mm -hmm. they had a camera and were using it to surveil and not for other purposes um you know and so they were able to kind of figure out maybe a few moments too late you know what was going on but yeah like i mean i don't it's just that very new, you know, first beginnings of a relationship kind of stuff. So I don't mm -hmm. know. I don't know that it needs to be that deep <laughs> uh, per se. Um, I was amused by the, the kind of throwaway monster of the like demon tree with a DSL connection. <laughs> like, you know, this odd tree yeah. chatting up random people on the internet and luring them right you know to the park as sort of a yeah um no definitely the sort fact of that the trees words are down there typing on you know chat right you know interfaces and stuff was just funny right yeah <laughs> which you know i mean right this is this is the era of the chat room right like it you know right. it's before social media and like sort of spam as it has evolved today right <laughs> like right. you know yeah i mean a demon has to grow with the times right yeah if you're gonna get fresh blood um so and i want to bring up the the talk between gunn and wesley at the end too um because wesley kind of you know lets gunn know that he knows um you know and kind of calls gun out for being a little bit sneaky and irresponsible and almost you know getting them 
killed, you know, and kind of saying like, you know, that this put Fred in danger too. Like if you just been more upfront about it, you know, maybe this wouldn't have happened and, you know, you know, he's worried about her and everything and mm -hmm. Gunn's like, what are you, or big brother? And Wesley says, apparently, right. you know, and then like, you know, ouch. Um, you know, that kind of pulls Gunn up short a little bit. Um, so, you know, by the end of the episode, they kind of have this understanding of, uh, you know, Wesley saying, you know, she chose, he's gonna, you know, he accepts it. He's not gonna like make a big thing of it, but, you know, take care of her and Gunn agrees to do that. Yeah. Um, so there's this sort of, you know, because I feel like even if Fred wasn't aware of Wesley's feelings, Gunn definitely was. Um, so sure. in a way, it's it's almost more important for like Gunn and Wesley to reconcile than it is for Fred because Wesley and Fred really, Wesley never came clean to her about any of this. So she kind of has no, you know, she seems to be pretty oblivious that there's this whole other, you know, piece of the triangle and everything. Um, but for Wesley and, and Gunn, there needed to be a kind of, you know, clearing of the air and sort of, you know, yeah, metaphorical shaking of hands a little bit. Um, not that that diffuses all of the tension, but there's at least some acknowledgement of this is the way things are. Right. Sure. And so I think there's, there's also like that whole conversation's kind of interesting just from the fact of like, like Gunn gets a little defensive at first, but then like by the end, he's almost like apologetic mm -hmm. and like, it's not quite the same level of tension as you get like from last week or last episode where like you were saying, um, you know, you're not quite sure if Wesley's gonna like go into a jealous rage or, you know what? Um, but it, I mean, there is, it is somewhat tense. I mean, it's your boss calling you in and mm -hmm. saying, you know, like, Hey, this thing happened, which I clearly don't like, but like, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Um, you know, but Wesley does sort of, you know, acknowledge like, you know, it was Fred's decision to make and she made it. And, mm -hmm. you know, he's not looking to step in on that necessarily, but also there is also a protective thing. And I find it interesting that he said, he doesn't say, I want Fred to be happy, right? Mm -hmm. Like he says, I want her taken care of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not in an ominous way, obviously, but like, you know, you know, the person to be, with her needs to take care of her. And I like, I don't know. Like, is this, is this just sort of like, this is Wesley sort of like throwing his hat down or, or whatever, or is this like, it, I mean, is this like a, you know, state your intentions, you know, kind of moment or mm -hmm. like what? And on the one hand, like guns, right? Like it really is kind of none of, mm -hmm. Wesley's business 
but there is sort of the leg a legitimate aspect of you know relationships can ruin you know r romantic relationships can ruin sort of the working relationship that they right. have if it goes sour and so there right. is like, there is a sense yeah. in which actually he does kind of have a uh uh viable interest in that but it's complicated by his own feelings so right right yeah i mean there's right it, it's like is he saying this as you know the the person who has feelings for fred or is he saying this as the boss of yeah. the group or or as someone who genuinely does want to see like even if he can't be with fred like i do think that he genuinely wants to see her you know taken care of or mm -hmm. happy or however you want to interpret that like like i don't i don't think that's wrong necessarily either so like there's sort of like three angles to it mm -hmm. all and like which which of the you know is it wesley or, you know uh, or sorry fred as employee fred as potential love interest or fred as you know just friend you know mm -hmm. um and, well, and for and Wesley, it have it's to be, kind of all three. Yeah, yeah I was going to yeah. say, it doesn't have to be one or the other, necessarily. Like, he has all of those, he has all of those relationships with her. You know, right. he is, he is all of those things, those three things at the same time. Right. Um, so, yeah. And, and some of them are maybe more or less his, quote, business, you know, from a, right. you know, butting his nose in kind of perspective but like yeah they're they're all sort of valid from you know his feelings and and mm -hmm. how he's looking at them yeah yeah anyway i don't i don't know that there's a ton more to say about that probably can just um say a few words about prophecy though at the end i know we sort of alluded to it earlier unless you had anything else no that was the only other thing um yeah i mean obviously there's not too much but you know wesley does get these extra commentaries and does some more translating and um you know whether whether it was a couplet or not we get the line about uh you know the the father will kill the son just as angels having his nice warm fuzzy moment right you know with his son you know wesley's sort of sad face looking you know knowing that you know there's this new piece of the puzzle that he's uncovered um which does not bode well for angel and connor nope so yeah um, the only other thing I think you wanted to make sure we noted was, uh, that Holtz does not appear in this episode. So right, we are right. kind oh. of, he's MIA and we're, uh, uh, not quite sure what he's up to these days. I mean, he was with, I can't remember her name. Justine. The, Justine. Thank you. Um, you know, he was off with her and I believe they were going to do some more recruiting, right. Of like other, yeah. uh, right. People like her, maybe some. Right. So presumably you know, they're off doing that. Right. Perhaps, like gather, you know. you know, making themselves a little army or something. But, um, 
but we we don't know for sure so he's sort of unaccounted for at the moment yeah yep no i'm glad you mentioned that because i completely forgot i wanted to make sure we said that so thank you that's why we take no notes problem. at the beginning i guess right yep <laughs> um, so yep i think that kind of uh wraps up what i had for this episode yeah Cool. Well, um, I'll just say that we're we're still on sort of our funky schedule, so uh, we'll have another week of Angel here. So perhaps we will see Holtz again, or perhaps not. Um, mm-hmm. We will not see Cordy and Gru because they're off on their. Oh, uh, okay. So we're we're not skipping ahead in time. They're. They're. Well, yeah. I don't. I mean, like like maybe a week or something, but it's, it's during the period that they're gone. She's away. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. See you and, then. And I think I want to say it's, Oh, sorry. I just jump the gun. Just want to say that I think it's the first episode that she doesn't appear in, in Angel, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. I mean, I can't think of any others. Like, I mean, she's there right from the first, episode right right i I, I can't think of any others where she was like missing or anything right i think she's in even if only for a few moments at least Mm -hmm. you know uh yeah every episode until now um i don't know about buffy like is this the first like are there episodes in the first three seasons of buffy where she doesn't appear at all uh gosh i don't yeah it's it's possible it's not it's not very often yeah if it is but Hmm. i could see there being one or two sure um but yeah right it it, like especially maybe first season because she doesn't really Mm -hmm. become sort of a full member Mm -hmm. of the scoobies until like second Mm -hmm. season yeah but i i you know, I would I that that'll be an interesting piece of trivia. I'll try to look that up. Yeah. For uh next next discussion though. All right. Sounds good. All right. See you then. Mm-hmm.